Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. In T-minus three, two, one, we begin the fun. Touring our way through the NBA from that big, big apple to the place by the bay. Is your mind buckled in? Because it's time to begin. Seiko and his friends are doing it again. The Hang Time Podcast is the spot, so sit back, relax, because the show's about to drop. Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. I'm your host, Seiko Smith, here in Atlanta. And as always, we have some of the most interesting people and stories for you here on the podcast. Today, we have one of my favorite all-time stories. Um, I, I think a guy who was before his time in terms of talent uh, and the intensity that was surrounding him as a youth, as a young basketball player coming onto the scene, Shake Cotton. And a lot of you remember that name if, if you're embedded in the basketball uh, history the way a lot of us are. Um, a, a guy who was the, nicknamed the man-child as a young person. Uh, it tells you what kind of game he had, what kind of impact he had on the, the basketball scene in Southern California. Uh, and there's a movie out uh, that's going to be hitting VOD and all the places, you know, on digital platforms where you can find movies, iTunes, Amazon, or anywhere else on June 23rd, Manchild, The Shea Cotton Story. Uh, it's early on the West Coast, so he's joining us now via robe. Um, <laughs> appreciate you crawling out of bed and, and getting with us this early in the morning, Shay. First and foremost, how you doing, man? I know there's a lot going on right now. The coronavirus, you know, this uh, protests all over the country, certainly in L.A. Um, how, how are you doing? How are you holding up through all this stuff? I'm blessed, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, you know, difficult time that our that our country's facing right now. Uh, with a lot of uh, social injustices and things like that. But, you know, this is um, its nothing new. I think it's just at all-time high now. I'm just thankful that I'm in good health and uh, safe and, and driven in my capacity. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Now, bef- before we get into the backstory, tell me what you're doing. Now. What are you working on and working in now in basketball? I, I know you're doing some training, some other stuff. What exactly are you knocking out? In, in this day, uh, in terms of basketball? I do a lot of mentoring and, uh, and, and individual development, private training and stuff like that. I find myself working more with kids with the mental aspect. Um, a lot of kids are skilled these days, but I think the mental is, has been broken down and became a lot weaker than it was in the past. And I think that has a lot to do with social media and just this, this era of sense of self-entitlement and not being people of accountability. So we're just trying to flip that up on its head. And, you know, currently we've, uh, we're really pushing hard. I'm thankful that Manchild documentary has been four years to get distributed. Um, you know, we partnered up with 1091 media and uh, prodigy marketing to uh, help, help get this thing out to the masses. So all the kids can, can learn from my story and no one else has to, has to experience this. So we'll be releasing it on the 23rd of this month on, uh, on, iTunes and Google, Google, as well as all all platforms where you can purchase movies. Right now, tell me when we look at 
your story arc all the way back to to you know I remember first seeing that Sports Illustrated picture, um, and I had read about you, you know, in, in newspapers, Southern California newspapers, but I had never seen video. You know, we didn't have social media and all these things. Um, tell me when it got real for you in terms of you understanding that you were more, you know, it was more than just a 12 year old phenom. You, you became, you know, kind of a national phenom for a lot of people watching basketball because you're so much better and bigger than everybody at that age that, you know, it became a thing where people thought, Oh, this guy can't be 12 years old. He can't be the same age as these kids he's competing against because he was dominating them so much. Right. Well, I think, I think, um, 12, 13 years old is when it started really turning the corner. You know, I always would challenge myself against older opponents. Um, the fear factor wasn't really there. I think I, that that would that pretty much dissipated early because I played against my brother a lot, who was two and a half years older, and uh, you know had had a really good trainer, Marv Marinovich, um, who really pushed the limits. And I think once I incorporated the the training with the guy given ability combined with the work ethic, it took me into a different hemisphere. So by the time I was 14 years old, I was already nationally known through ESPN and all, all of the syndicate uh, writers and, and different uh, outlets that we had at that time before social media. Things got crazy. You know, I was yeah. 15 years old, Sports Illustrated, four-page layout, yeah. my freshman year in high school. And at that time for us, that was the highest you could go. So after that, things just got crazy and my life became like literally a fishbowl. Wow. So... You mentioned your brother, James, and I, and I watched James, um, you know, in his travels through basketball, uh, you know, played all over the place. It was the two of you training together, though, um, a lot when you were younger. Was that what kind of – you mentioned that playing against him, him being two and a half years older, was that what kind of carried you through those early years, having him as, as not only a contemporary but somebody who was going to challenge you all the time to get better? It did because, uh, you know, we were close in age and our relationship was pretty tight. So I was just gleaming to him, learning from him because he was like ahead of the game because we started playing baseball and then we gravitated into basketball. We got bored with it and picked the rock up and never put it down. So, you know, I gleaned from his work ethic and his commitment, the desire. You know, we would have talks when we were kids like, where do we want to go? How good do we want to be? And growing up in L.A. Harbor, you know, it wasn't a hotbed for basketball. It was a hotbed for with gangs and drugs and, you know, different elements. So uh, for us, we wanted more and we knew we had to pay a price. So we, we trained hard and made a lot of sacrifices. And, you know, he would test me. We had one-on-one -on -one battles and, you know, we did a lot of workouts together. And it, it got so competitive where it would go, it would get into fist fights and stuff. So we had to back <laughs> up, you know, we just kind of train, train each other, make each other better and, and beat up on everybody else. Yeah, I, I know a lot of, and, and let me make sure I remind people, it's not like this is a cautionary tale that you did play at a high level. Um, you played professionally for years. Uh, I don't, I don't want people to get the impression that because you didn't go on to, you know, superstar in the NBA, that you didn't succeed in your basketball career. You certainly played for a long time at a high level, but maybe not at the level a lot of people expected or even you expected. And I'm, and I'm wondering where do you think things went sideways for you? I, I, I know in the documentary, the NCAA played a huge factor. Um, but was that it in itself? Or do you think other you know, forces conspired to maybe turn your story in, in the ways that you couldn't control? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was ultimately it's my my career's been a bit of an enigma, you know, yeah. to to be to be called a living legend and I you know arguably one of the top three best to ever come out of Los Angeles for high school and in California mm-hmm. basketball as a whole, and to not make the NBA and for me to know I had the talent and you know to play against the likes of guys like Kevin Garnett, Stephon Marbury, you know Ron Mercer, uh, Vince Carter, all these big names at that time, and I held my own and they know it so. It wasn't a talent thing. I think ultimately God didn't want that for my path. My path, and you know, I had like a an awakening and and kind of like a, a release when when that settled in and I accepted that. You know, when I was playing internationally, I was beating that dead horse for a long time trying to get back to the to the states to get to the NBA because I, I knew I had the talent, but the breaks you know weren't falling in my favor. I mean, I played at a high level in Europe. I played in the Euro League and. In Belgrade, Yugoslavia, which was Vlade Divac's former team, uh, you know, KK Partizan. So there's been a lot of opportunities that I had that kind of fell through the cracks because the timing was bad and the cards weren't stacked up in my favor. So Mm -hmm. people need to understand that in sports professionally, there's a lot of politics and timing and then relationships that go into play. Like, you know, who's your agent? and uh, You know, what's the stronghold on that team? You know, who does he represent in the NBA? And what's the power of the those relationships when you're talking international. I mean, I was in Serbia when Vladimir Radomanovic was playing over there before he came to L.A. with the Clippers and the Lakers, and he was killing guys over there, making 300 grand a year at 18 years old. We didn't have that opportunity as Americans because we had to go to college, and you were lucky if you were good enough to make the NBA and make the jump, which I was one of those guys, but I wanted to play at the next level. I wanted to go to college because that's the way I was brought up. I had the tools. I could have jumped from high school, but when I tore my shoulder my junior summer playing against Lamar Odom and the Long Island Panthers, I had 38 points in three quarters. We still had a whole nother quarter to go. You know, I felt like I would have had 60 that day. So it, it, the East and the West was at an all-time high with Biggie and Pac, the, the rivalry. You know, there was a lot of tension. So for me, I was carrying the West Coast on my back. So there was a lot of hidden pressures and a hidden uh, uh, determinations for me. That's interesting. You, I, I know you. You have contemporaries. You talk about the guys who were coming through the through the circuit at the same time as you, Lamar. Um, I, I saw Baron Davis had some really interesting things to say in the documentary. Um, I'm wondering how much of that that basketball ecosystem are you still connected to? I know guys come up and they and they kind of remember the guys they that are in their class or what have you. Um, how many of those guys do you still still see on the basketball circuit or still interact with? I mean, most, I see most of them, you know, when I'm in that circuit, but I choose not to deal with it unless I have to. Just because of the scars that it left for me, you know, I choose to, to make other people better rather than try to hog a limelight and, you know, be in the scene where I could be seen. Like, you know, I have to validate myself through basketball, and I'm much more than a basketball player. And I think, you know, yeah. through my story, moving forward, kids will get a, a different experience from me outside of what I did on the floor. But the, the humanitarian side and the philanthropy and, you know, just being selfless these days, doing what I can to make this place a better place for, for the youth so they, they have options and they can diversify and understand it's fine to set goals, but sometimes things don't work in our favor and, you know, you still got to make something of, of disappointments. And I, I can really speak to that after being to the mountaintop and then falling back to the bottom and realizing that the people that I helped and made money for wasn't there for me to help me up. It was new people. It was, you know, close family. My mother, you know, staying close to my brother. My father before he passed, you know, the wisdom that I would glean from him. 
And, you know, my relationship with God, man, is really what's got me here today because I made a commitment and said, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes no matter how hard it, hard it gets. I want to I help kids, and I don't want this to happen to no one else's kid. Yeah. You, so now you're focused. Are you dealing with kids? All, I know you've spoken all over the country, uh, done different things, but are you focusing in terms of your training and, and, and assisting those young kids and the mental aspects of it? Is that locate, you know, kind of located or focused in Southern California? Uh, for now it is, but I mean, mm-hmm. I, there's kids that I've dealt with, you know, nationwide, um, you know, and I, I don't, I don't like to name drop and stuff like that, but sure, you know, I have, sure. I've, I've dealt with NBA players as well, all mm-hmm. the way down to, you know, adolescents, kids in grade school, but I really enjoy, you know, the, uh, the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a kid right now that out this way that three years ago, he was a project, nobody would touch him. And now people are recognizing him. And it's like, he's a 4.3 student. You know, he wants to go to UCLA. He's coming into his junior year. His mm-hmm. timing is great because he didn't have the star-studdedness that I had growing up at 12 and 13. You know, you're already nationally known, let alone being known in your state. I mean, I'm nationally known at 13. How crazy is that <laughs> at that time? Today, yeah, with social media, maybe not so much a big deal, but the talent is watered down. So what, what's the ranking if when it's tested, it's not really deemed worthy? You know, so we have to be careful with all these rankings with these kids because I've watched a lot of basketball and I haven't really been impressed. I see a lot of individual play and and a lack of skill, a lack of hunger and, you know, a lack of teamwork. You know, a lot of individual play. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I I thought about it as as I was watching the documentary. I thought, boy, you would have broke you'd have broke Twitter. Um, Oh, man. (laughs) Like Instagram would have been on fire. It would have been crazy. Uh, Right. (laughs) Just, you know, just the if you could start a buzz the way you did in the era where there was none of that, could you imagine how insane it would have been had, had there been social media around when you were coming up? And I, I thought about that. Um, you know, I've been to Southern California countless times, and I, I don't know if people who haven't been there comprehend how massive the landscape is and how yeah. if, you're, if you're a big deal in, in Southern California, that's different than being a big deal almost anywhere else because of the amount of space that's covered and the masses of people who live there. Right, right. And then you got Tinseltown, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. You want to be discovered, you got to come here. So to be able to play under that limelight with all that scrutiny year in and year out and to maintain a level of stature and, you know, and, and excellence, that takes work. You know, people talk about, I want to be no more playing the country or, you know, I want to be no more picking the draft and I want to go high D1 to a college, Kentucky or Duke, UCLA, they don't realize the bullseye that's on your back at that point. And it, the real work is when you get there, staying there at the top. Yeah, that's so true. So now, what, what is your you, – you break down the players, their skill level, and then their mental makeup. What, what is your main message to these young kids in terms of what they should be focusing on at that age? I, I know, like you said, there's – Everybody's got a, their own, you know, Instagram and highlights and all that stuff. But how do you lock them in and focus them on a getting better on and off the court, and b having the mental makeup to deal with whatever comes at them at that at that really impressionable age? Well, with a lot of guys that I work with, I start out with showing them the Mad Child documentary, mm. um, that, and that's usually works pretty well because it gets their attention and it lets them know, okay, this is real, you know. And a lot of times. A lot of guys that I'm working with aren't really on that level that, that I was on in high school at their particular time in their career. So it's a lot easier to grasp their attention because that's what gets them today. 
highlights and, you know, video reels and, you know, uh, known notable faces and names on screen. So we start with that. And then, and then I break their game down into, into components, you know, the, uh, strength and, and the health side, as far as what are you putting in, in your body? What are you eating? You know, mm-hmm. uh, how do you train? Are you stretching? Are you warming up before workouts? Are you icing your body, you know, after daily? Uh, are you taking Epsom salt baths? I mean, we go through a vigor of different routines and processes to get them to the point where they can be a recruitable student athlete, not just on the floor, but off the court. I think more importantly, I deal with the integrity, the accountability and in, in, in the work ethic you know, the mental toughness. I think that's something that's very important because guys can start out a game playing well, but how do you look in the fourth quarter? How do you look in overtime? Do you have enough left in the tank to get it done? You know, so the training is vigorous. You know, we do a lot of uh, interval training mixed in with conditioning. You know, there's a lot of uh, teaching points where I'll sit down with my guys and we'll just talk for 10 or 15 minutes. We'll talk about life, school, you know, girls, uh, ambition what is what is your what is your goals where do you want to be five years from now ten years from now what's your why why do you play the game of basketball I mean really taking it further than just when people see a trainer working with a guy and doing fancy footwork and great drills with with notable faces you know I don't have all the fancy equipment but what I have is a wealth of knowledge from my experiences that very few people can can relate to and, and that's where the value is, the, the time that I can give to people. It's not so much about how much the fee is that I charge for the service. It's more about the time that can't be, that can't be uh, replaced and what we're doing in those moments. And I think the kids that are consistent with me are going to be way better than their peers. I mean, like the kid I mentioned, yeah, I'm expecting great things from him in the next two years. And he, he can go higher than UCLA. He can go to Harvard if he wants to. He can go to Princeton, Yale, Cornell. I mean, this kid's a 4-3 with honors classes in a private school. You know, this kid's sharp. So I'm being blessed in different ways, dealing with different type of kids today. But I think that's where I'm most most suited uh, on the mentoring side, dealing with the mind. Interesting. You know, what's really fascinating to me is, is given your history with the NCAA, and I don't think there's any doubt they played a huge role in, in how your career turned out and not, not in the positive. If, right. if you're evaluating it, you could be pushing people to say, you know, bypass that, go, you know, find your avenue straight to the, to professional basketball and try and live your dreams out that way. But you still focus on the building blocks of, you know, starting at a, at a point, building to goals. And college is a huge part of that. What is it about the college experience that you think in an age when a lot of people think college basketball has outlived its usefulness for, for the uber talented teenagers? What is it about college hoops and that structure that you think is still beneficial for these kids? Is, is it the beyond basketball component? I think so. I think the thing that's imperative with college is it teaches you how to interact with people from all walks of life, mm-hmm. all creeds, colors, you know, it doesn't matter. And it, and it helps you to adapt to life, you know, outside of school, you know, outside of sport, because the ball will stop bouncing someday, you know, and those relationships that you, that you make, with classmates and stuff like that in college, a lot of times are lifelong, life-lasting. A lot of these people um, that are going to these schools are, are from uh, more privileged backgrounds than a lot of these student athletes coming out of inner cities in North America. So their fathers own Fortune 500 companies or you know, they own their own practices and things like that where you may become uh, an intern to some of these businesses in the off-season, you know, to help get your feet wet in, in, in the business world. Mm-hmm. In establishing those relationships and those rapports with people 
And those capacities are very important because that can extend your success level as an adult where you could take care of yourself and your family and kids that you may have someday and be able to give something back and preserve your lifeline. I think that's how you change demographics in the inner city. When you change the, the mentality of the youth coming up and you give them opportunities where their parents didn't have, now you give them wings where they can, they can fly. And that's really what college does rather than MBA to high, you know, high school to the MBA. You miss that learning curve because you go right into the business of sports and everybody's looking at you as a commodity. Yeah, that's, that's so important. You, you embrace so many different changes, too, to go to prep school, um, you know, different high schools, to go overseas and to go to Alabama. I mean, you, all those different avenues that you had to, to walk in your career, is that what you think forged the, the, the adult identity that you, that you live now, just knowing that there's a struggle or some work that needs to be done and embracing it as opposed to running from it? or to retreating back to what you know and something that's maybe more comforting. You, you, you fought it out. You went to St. Thomas More and, and, and grinded. You, you know, you went across country to Alabama, which had to be different, you know, and had to be yeah. tough given yeah. your status. I mean, what, what gave you confidence in all those instances to, to step into that and, and, and grind the way you did? I think my upbringing, my father, you know, rest in peace, the way he raised me and my brother to be tough and, and hardworking and, the men of God and accountable people, you know, it just, mm. we wanted to earn our keep. I never was a guy that wanted somebody to give me a handout. I always wanted to earn everything I got so there wouldn't be no question about it. And I think um, that that's the mentality that I took no matter where I played. I knew that God blessed me with a gift and I knew that I was better than most people. I just needed the, the fair opportunity to showcase my ability no matter where I was at. And I think in prep school, I was playing, I was on a tear because I was just like upset. Like mm. I was so disappointed and I, I felt like, you know, disgusted. Like, why are they messing with me? I, I paid my dues. I earned the right to be at the top. And I, here I am, I went from UCLA and Westwood, which is, you know, basically Beverly <laughs> Hills, Westwood, pick, right. pick your city. I mean, the, the landscape is unbelievable to the, to the Northeast tri-state area, Oakdale, Connecticut, the same time as more prep. And I, every day, it was just kind of like, it was tough. I mean, I'd be in my dorm room with my, my roommate, Mike King, who's a Baltimore, Maryland native, mm -hmm. and we'd have conversations because we played against each other in AAU ball, you know, uh, growing up. I was a Nike guy. He was a Nike guy. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's like, man, what are you doing here? Like, you way better. Than <laughs> you know, this, this wasn't my first choice, but I think this was the best choice considering the circumstances where I could be re-recruited and kind of mm -hmm. try to start fresh. So, but about that experience, what people don't realize is I – committed to go to NC State out at St. Thomas More. I was going to be in ACC. So mm -hmm. I felt I was on my way. I mean, I'd grown up watching Carolina and Duke, NC State, you know, Virginia, Maryland. I mean, I, I studied, man. I was historian. I didn't just play. I knew who, yeah. who Walt Williams was. I knew who X3 Hip was. I, you know, I knew who Lynn Bias was. I, I really studied and, and did my homework. I mean, I knew who David Thompson was out at NC State. So that was pretty much my trajectory. I said, if I can get in here, the ACC is the pinnacle. All I got to do is have a really solid year in the ACC, and I think it'll be undeniable. I mean, I was averaging over 30 points in the NEPSAC. I led the NEPSAC in scoring. So with the likes of MCI and, you know, uh, diff diff different different programs, Wingeton up in Mass, yeah. you know, Lamar was at Troy in New York. I mean, we had we had different different uh, prep schools with, with notable players, but ESPN came and did a special on me at that time. So – People need to understand that it takes a little bit of luck, 
in order to get to the NBA. You got to be very good. And that blessing has got to be on your life. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how good you are. There's, okay. there's millions of people playing basketball. We'll separate you from the next guy. And for me, it wasn't a talent thing. It wasn't nothing to do with basketball. You know, it was something that was out of my control. And I took a very difficult experience. And I've been blessed to be able to turn it around. And I think now I'm coming into that. The, the last 12 years of a, of a struggle and just getting door slammed in my face is amounting to an opportunity now to release this Mad Child documentary and for me to be reintroduced to the world. So that I'm thankful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, again, the, the, the official title is Man Child, the Shea Cotton Story. Uh, it hits VOD and all digital platforms. That's iTunes, Amazon, or anywhere else you can buy movies on, on June 23rd. I think it's perfect timing, too, Shea, when you consider you. where we are in the basketball landscape, the NBA trying to come back. But there's been this stretch now where interesting stories that we might have forgotten over the years or things that we need to be reminded of. I think of the last dance and how captivated everybody was week after week, you know, watching Michael Jordan's story in his document. This is a great time for people to check this out and to plug into this story, man. I, lo I love what you're doing now. Um, the resilience that you've shown is outstanding. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah, we're going to keep up with it. And, and, and hopefully people will, will check out the doc and, and keep up with it as well, man. Good luck to you to your continued work out there in L.A. and everywhere else. Thanks a lot for the opportunity, Sekou, and good luck to you guys as well. Appreciate thank you, Shay. Appreciate you, man. As always, we, we got to thank our guests for taking time here on the Hang Time Podcast. Just want to have great conversations with, with people that are movers and shakers in the basketball world. Nobody better right now at this time than Shea Cotton. Um, the documentary is Man Child, the Shea Cotton Story. It hits VOD and all digital platforms. That includes iTunes and Amazon, anywhere you can buy movies on June 23rd. We appreciate him taking some time out of his day to, to reflect on his career, his life, uh, his story, and where he is now. I think it'll be interesting for a lot of people to hear. Um, and as we get closer and closer to the NBA restart, uh, we'll dive into some more issues, league-specific, team-specific, um, for all of the guys out there who are getting ready to restart their season so stay tuned and, and as always you know check out the hang time podcast download it subscribe and make sure you keep up with what's going on for my producer anthony bonaparte and everybody else um, we appreciate you taking the time and we'll see you next time this one is done but in case you want another one here's the link to all the fun from seku smith's hang time run Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com slash Hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans.